and welcome to our listeners. We are glad that you can join us on this new episode of Positively Pro-Life Podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramo Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation. And as always, I have our Legislative Director, Maria Gallagher, co-host with me. Welcome, Maria. Thank you so much, Ramo. It's great to be with you today. We have had a very busy week um, at the Federation. And uh, we know that in Pennsylvania right now, we are fighting to restore state funding for real alternatives, a program that serves pregnant women in need. Real Alternative Centers provide pregnant mothers with maternity care, prenatal care, and adoption referrals, which are all necessary help for a woman experiencing lack of support in bringing her child into this world. And Maria Gallagher has more on that in her legislative update today. But today's conversation um, is with an organization that helps women and children through adoption and foster care. Lifeline Children's Services has four decades of experience assisting families with international adoption in all 50 states, each of the U.S. territories, and with U.S. citizens living abroad. And we cannot wait to speak with their president, Herbie Newell, about their organization and what has changed for them since Dobbs has um, Dobbs reversed role. But first, we want to start off with some inspiration for this week. And for that, I have a story, a personal testimony uh, from a woman in Oregon named Shelby. And this appeared in the Oregon La- uh, Right to Life newsletter where she has given her pro-life reason. And this is her story. I hung up the ultrasound from a third baby girl on our fridge recently and turned around to see my two-year-old standing in the dishwasher, ready to help mama. In that moment, a tear trickled down my cheek as a smile spread across my face. Because the beginning of my life almost did not warrant me experiencing these precious moments today. Conceived through rape, my birth mother had choices to make and she chose me. I still deal with problems in my adult life that lead back to being in the womb, but she chose to let me live and then gave me up for adoption and she could not have made a better decision. Being alive today means getting to experience all of life's treasures. I get to wake up every morning and face another day here on this stunning earth in the gorgeous state of Oregon. While some days are difficult, there's always good to be found in them, like the little giggles of my busy toddlers running about. I've gotten to experience my adoptive dad walking me down the aisle to the man of my dreams with my birth mother in the crowd cheering us on. I've been blessed with two two beautiful daughters and another on the way. So many blessings because my birth mother chose life for me despite her circumstances. Since my birth mom chose life for me in the midst of a horrible situation, I am pro-life today. Despite the circumstances my biological mother was in, I am living proof that you can make the right choice that you can advocate for that little baby who can't speak for themselves yet, that you can still love your child, even if it might be from a distance, to better that baby's life and work on your own. To me, being pro-life is easy. 
much easier than making a choice to end a life. Whew. <laughs> After reading that, I mean, I have goosebumps and I've read that twice already, but um, I just have goosebumps from, uh, from knowing that there's such beauty in life and that's the chance uh, that we are taking away from so many in, innocent people in, the, in their lives. And, and also what a beautiful way, um, what a beautiful thing for the birth mother to witness um, her daughter grow up and start a family and have grandkids, right? Um, and we have so many institutions and organizations that, are, that help with the process. And we're so grateful that um, one of the organizations, I mean, who we are talking to today is also an organization that helps with adoption. And so I just want, I just hope that story inspires you and shows you that the value of life is not what someone else places on it, um, that life is precious. And uh, like she says, um, let's hope uh, to help others realize that making, being pro-life is a much easier decision than making the choice to end a life. So with that, Maria, what do you have for our legislative update? Ramel, in a shocking decision, Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro has announced that he intends to allow Pennsylvania's contract with Real Alternatives to expire at the end of the year. Real Alternatives administers Pennsylvania's Pregnancy and Parenting Support Services Program, which funds pregnancy resource centers, maternity homes, and adoption agencies throughout the Commonwealth. Without this program, thousands of pregnant women across PA could lose the comprehensive support and counseling they need during their pregnancies and 12 months afterward. Here are some action items. First, please call Governor Shapiro's office and ask that he reverse his decision to cancel Real Alternatives contract. The number to call is 717-787-2500. That's 717-787-2500. And second, please email and call your state representative and state senator and urge them to take action to stop Real Alternatives contract from being canceled. Go to www.paprolife.org for details. That's www.paprolife.org. Remmel. Yes, and this is a call to action from everyone across the state to call a governor and ask him to reverse his decision to expire real alternatives contract. And with that, our guest for today is Herbie Noel, President and Executive Director of Lifeline Children's Services. Under Herbie's leadership since becoming director in 2003, Lifeline has increased international outreach to 25 countries through adoption in strategic orphan care and grown into 14 states. Herbie's heart for the fatherless led him to form Unadopted in 2009, which is Lifeline's strategic orphan care ministry focused on equipping orphaned and vulnerable children with life skills needed to bring about community transformation. He's also the author of the book, Image Bearers, and Herbie and his wife, Ashley share a passion for the unborn, life, and adoption, and desire to spend their lives advocating for the least of these. We're so glad you could join us, Herbie. Welcome to Positively Pro-Life Podcast. Rumo and Maria, thank you so much for having me and for 
all that you guys are doing to advocate for life in Pennsylvania and throughout our country. Thank you so much, Javi. Um, so you, you could, to start off this interview, could you tell us what uh, Lifeline Children's Services do? Yes, of course. So Lifeline Children's Services, we want to equip uh, men and women, uh, boys and girls, to get engaged in active pro-life ministry through adoption and orphan care and foster care. Uh, while we certainly want to work with women who are going through pregnancies and crisis and unplanned pregnancy to provide, we want to be there on the other with post-birth intervention by helping with adoption alternatives, helping with kids that have already found their way into foster care, as well as really, you know, intervening for vulnerable families to help them be whole, to be able to get their kids out of foster care, to be able to thrive. And then for those kids who can't stay in their biological families, we certainly want to look at permanent alternatives. They're going to help these kids be able to flourish and to thrive and to survive. So we do that all in a domestic context, but then we also take that internationally and work with churches and global organizations to help them care for uh, orphans, vulnerable children, vulnerable women, and vulnerable families in their context uh, in about 18 different countries. That's remarkable. Now, how does Lifeline Children's Services help parents through the adoption process? Yeah, absolutely. What we want to do is we want to see that in the adoption process, this is not just about adding to their family, but this is about uh, active pro-life ministry to women who are going through these unplanned pregnancies. And so one of the things we want to do is train and equip these families to care for, for women that, that ultimately may be the moms, the birth mothers of the children that they will parent one day. We also want to help just educate and equip them to be a support to their child, realizing that adoption is not plan B, but it is what's best for their family. Uh, but because the adoption is part of the story and the fabric of their family, there's something so much more complex to their family, and it can be beautifully complex. We want to equip them to show tangible emotional support to women going through pregnancies, but we also want to help them know how to care for their child well, to, to point them to the way that they should go, to, to help them understand that, that they are loved in a, in, a, in a holistic way, not just by their, their adoptive family, but also by their birth for a woman to choose life uh, in the culture that we now live in, even on a post-job. It's courageous for them to choose life. And so we want to honor those women. We want to care for those women. Quickly, I, I, you know, with story stories, I just would like to say a lot of the things we see even from our families is ways that they end up supporting women to help them be successful. So they're in a process of adoption, and sometimes the process doesn't end in adoption. It actually ends in a holistic care for a woman to be able to parent her child in a healthy way. And so that's really what we want to provide families is to see that they have something far more than just bringing a child into their home at play when they enter into this ministry and into this process. Remmel, for some reason, we can't hear you. So thank you for pointing that out. I think sure. that was <laughs> but um, I was saying that this, uh, obviously, when you take care of everybody involved, then there is a bed of uh, strength to the family bonds, uh, the, the bonding and everything. So um, could you tell us, has uh, Dobbs' decision impacted um, your organization, especially with the number of adoptions and, and how women are seeking um, help from you? Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't say that we've necessarily seen a precipice increase 
in, in adoptions per se. We certainly have seen more women that are searching information out about adoption, especially women that are coming from states where there have been restrictions or when there have been a, a abolition of, of abortion all the way. We do see women that are, are, are seeking information. So we've had a lot more women that have called, asked for our services, asked for our help. We are starting to see a little bit of an increase, I think because now we're over 12 months from the Dobbs decision. Obviously, we've seen now working in cycle. And so we are seeing a lot more women that are choosing adoption. Um, I would, again, I wouldn't say it's, a, it's an exponential increase, but it has been a steady increase. I think the positive thing that I've seen is really how we've seen a lot more attention from pro-life individuals, from churches, from families who have pro-life convictions to get engaged in more tangible ways. And so certainly we must advocate for better policy. We must advocate for law changes. We must advocate for care for women and children uh, in the in the you know in the maternal uh, pregnancy stage of the life cycle of a child. But we also have got to now start turning our attention to the post-birth intervention, especially in states where there are restrictions. We're going to have more kids that are born, and that's a good thing. But what are we going to do once this life is born? How are we going to care for it? How are we going to help this life thrive and reach its full potential? And that's been what's so exciting is more even from time and volunteering and getting engaged from the pro greater pro-life community. And so that's been an encouragement. And I think it's an enriching of our pro-life stance to say, yes, we want to see life born, but we also want to see life thrive and reach its potential. I think that just even brings more people into the pro-life space when they see this is not just about birth, but this is about flourishing of life. And, and that's been a, what I would say has been the most encouraging impact we've seen since the, the Dobbs decision. Can you tell us what goes into a woman's decision to place her child for adoption? Because I imagine it's a very difficult decision for a woman to make. Yeah, for sure. You know, a, a lot of things that we see a woman really go through is the, the ability to support a child. Uh, most of the women that we work with, they, for their child, they very much want to uh, do everything they can in order to help their child flourish. And so, again, I would say that the women who choose adoption are making a sacrificial decision where they realize someone else can do a better job than I can. And that's a hard decision. That's a very difficult decision. It's emotional. Uh, they, they, it, it, it really, uh, the adoption decision hits every last nerve ending of a woman, from the emotional nerve endings to the, um, to the physical nerve endings, to the mental, to the spiritual. And it, it really is a very difficult decision. And one of the things that the women will experience is a sense of loss. Now, while they don't have a loss that comes with abortion, where they, they have a child that they never know what the child will look like, sometimes they don't even know what gender the child will be, uh, they don't know what, what facial features or, or physical characteristics that child will have, what that child's personality will be, there still is a loss of the parent. We want to help walk through experiencing that grief and loss and letting her know that even if she's going to have an open relationship, even if there's going to be a lot of attention and a lot of connection back with the child and the adoptive family, there still is a sense of loss. And so I would even say that one of the, the great things that we have to do is prepare nurses in the postpartum ward to understand that women are, that are placing 
for adoption, it's natural and not just natural, but it's healthy that they grieve in the hospital because they need to go ahead and face that, hey, while there is life and we need to, to celebrate life and celebrate the opportunity of that life, there still is great loss uh, for that woman. You know, I think the other thing we want to do is we want to make sure as an organization that this woman has made a fully informed decision. And so we want to help her with budgeting. We want to help make sure that if she's underemployed, that we get her gainfully employed. We want to do all of this. We want to make a decision for adoption is not one that could have been avoided if she had other opportunities, but one that she truly does have a peace and a comfort about. And I think, friends, when we do that, when we take that seriousness with adoption, then we'll even begin in the future, for future generations, begin to see adoption as a healthy alternative to a pregnancy uh, because it, it's used and counseled and even generated through a very healthy lens that respects both mom and child. Yes, um, in your work, especially because you deal with both international and domestic adoptions, are there laws that make the adoption process easier? And do you see something that needs to be changed? Um, what, what helps? Yeah, you know, I think what we've seen out of the Dobbs decision, and I, I've been tracking it across the country and really even state by state, first on the domestic level, there are that are distinct and different from border states, neighboring states, and any other states. Uh, our adoption law goes down into the family and the probate court level, which is a very state-specific, sometimes even a very localized law. I think a lot of times what we see right now from a response, especially in red states that have a little bit more, uh, you know, have done a little bit more to restrict or to, to abolish abortion, is now they're actually trying to tinker with adoption laws. And while all these laws are different, I would say that as, as a most part, if you take a sampling of all of our 50 states, what you're gonna see is laws that are going to protect the mom. They're gonna protect the rights of the mom to make sure that she's fully informed, that she knows what she's doing. Even laws to make sure that she's not being, uh, you know, she's not being pressured by promises of future compensation. Uh, that this isn't becoming a business of sorts, but truly a social to her. They're going to protect a child and a family, which are very important. But there's also going to be things really that are, are, are mostly centered around the child and the child's well-being in the future. And so some of those are home studies, making sure that that family that's adopting has been criminally background checked, uh, that they have a strong marriage foundation, that they have a commitment to that child, that they know that that, that, that child could have experienced trauma, potential um, in utero drug use and other things, and that there could be issues on the other side that they have to be facing. What I am concerned with is a lot of our states are really trying to make that, that process of the home study and the evaluation shorter, uh, more quick, you know, help, help families go through that more quickly. And I don't think we need to mess around or change the evaluation process. I also don't think we need to change anything that happens with the rights of the mom. We need to continue to protect the rights of the mom. I think really what we need to see in national policy cut down to, to, to truly make it into a business and a commodity that see the opportunity of a Dobbs decision as something to now go in and, and fill the needs of families. Our adoption law right now is actually very strong to protect those interests. So that doesn't need to be tweaked in my uh, humble opinion. On an international, and I don't mean to sound hypocritical, on an international level, I think we've so overregulated 
international adoption at this point that we put laws on top of laws that actually make it extremely difficult for international adoption to happen. And so there's a lot of advocacy that if listeners have a heart for pro-life ministry around the world and for adoption ministry around the world, I would just say as well, kind of going back to Maria's legislative update, now's the time to call the Department of State, your Senator, your Congressman, and say, hey, can you advocate for some greater opportunities for diplomacy some the red tape to be taken out of the international adoption process. What are some of the challenges that your clients have during the process? Yeah, so I think, you know, looking at, at kind of all three clients that we would name, I think first and foremost, and we've touched on a little bit, you have the birth family, uh, and that's the loss, uh, that's, that's dealing with trauma. I would tell you as well, just to add on to, uh, what I've said already about birth families, a lot of times when we have women that enter into our doors or call us on the phone, the pregnancy is not at the top of the list of the traumatic hardships that she's facing. It's actually just one of the top 10. And it, it sometimes it's at the bottom of the top 10. It may be, be the cream of the cream that actually helped her pick up the phone and seek help. But, but the compounding issues that she's dealing with uh, we've talked about underemployment. Sometimes we've talked about, uh, we, we haven't abuse and neglect drug use, um, uh, you know, uh, we'll see, uh, have had in their background. And so the issues, the trauma, the pain, the hurt, they're all dealing with that. From an adoptive family standpoint, obviously a lot of families are dealing with infertility. They've, they've wanted to have children. They've wanted to start a family. And this process can be long and daunting. Uh, it can be challenging. It's an emotional roller coaster uh, for a lot of families. And if they're not ready for that, uh, it, it, the process can actually wear them out before actually raising their child. And so as an organization, we want to want to mitigate some of that pain, some of that hurt, uh, some of that loss for families to help them be able to, to look forward and be able to, to not just go through the process, but ultimately be able to parent their child and lead their child in the way that they should go. I think for the child, you know, one of the things that we constantly want to do is to protect who they are and their identity for them to know that, that they're special uh, that they are, for us, made of God, with God, that they are special, just unique person, that they're more unique than any other person. Everyone's unique. Everyone's different. And we want to help them to know that adoption, while it's a part of their story, it's not something to make them different. It's something to, that, that is to be celebrated. And so, especially for children, when they reach teenage years, they're going through puberty, every teenager asks, who am I and where did I come from? We want to help these kids know that their story is a special one, and it's not something that is to, to put them on uh, a, a, you know, a different list. They're unique because of who they are and made to be, not because of their story or their situation. And so that's a lot of what we're helping children with. And at Lifeline, we actually provide education and counseling services for all three of that triad, for, for vulnerable families, for adopted and foster families, as well as for children who've experienced adoption foster care. What are usually the biggest misconceptions regarding adoption? Like you, uh, um, you mentioned how uh, the other side is trying to uh, make laws that are difficult. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of negative messaging surrounding adoption that is also out there. Could you share um, with some of those? Yeah, you know, I think one that is, is totally 
uh, bogus is that women who choose adoption are quitters or we even if it's entered into the language we'll say a woman has given up her baby for adoption um, and it's not giving up it is a loving difficult thing uh, it, again if you look at it and you look at even where our culture is the easy thing in our culture is to go to Walgreens or CVS, unfortunately, and, and, and get in a chemical abortive fashion. Um, the hard thing in our culture is to, is to choose life, and not only to choose life, but to choose life knowing that another in the end will parent. And so I, I think we need to realize these are just choices. These are choices that are ultimately being made for both the betterment of a woman and the betterment of, of, of a child. I think too, there's this idea that, you know, we, we call out adoption as though it's different or strange. Uh, you know, I'm gonna show my age here, but you know, when we used to get our news from newspapers, if a child who had been adopted, you know, committed a crime or did something, uh, and still today with, with the internet of news on, on, online, we see the adopted child of, uh, you know, so-and-so, but we don't say the biological child of so-and-so when another crime is happening. So I think we call out maybe in an unfair way children who have been adopted. And then, you know, the last thing I will just say, knowing that we're, we're coming up to the close of our time, is I think there's this idea right now that especially uh, on the progressive pro-abortion side, that they're trying to attack adoption as like a savior complex. Um, and I can there's no adopted family that walks in this door and sees themselves as a savior. As a matter of fact, the, the families that are coming in, they see themselves as broken, they see themselves as needy, and they see themselves as wanting to help someone else that's in the same position. And so uh, at least for, for our organization, and we've helped well over 4,500 families, and I've been here 20 years, I've never seen a family entered into the door with a savior complex. Like they were, they were there to rescue the day. So we've got less than two minutes left, and I'm wondering if you can tell us what kind of support is available for both birth parents and prospective adoptive parents. Yeah, so I would encourage any uh, birth mother or prospective adoptive parent, uh, reach out. There's tons of opportunities. There's a, a site that we've just actually put out for birth mothers called uh, My Life, My Gift. That's a, a great resources, written, video, other things that can help her walk through her pregnancy. For adoption.fo.org, uh, or they can always go to lifelinechild.org. We have lots of education and resources and support, uh, the aforementioned counseling and education that will come alongside of them and prepare them for adoption, but also will come alongside and resource them on the other end to help them not just adopt, but to thrive in their adoption or foster care journey. Thank you so much, Herbie Newell, President and Executive Director of Lifeline Children's Services. Thanks for being on the program today. Thank you both. It was such a pleasure. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single-issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State, with nearly 40 local county-based chapters. We shine a spotlight on the most vulnerable individuals from the very dawn of life to the twilight of life. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.